there can be a trap in recovery of, you know, I didn't do a thorough enough uh, step four. Was it moral enough? Was it searching enough? We have some colorful adjectives in recovery, and I think we would be better off without them. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, uh, and uh, with me, I'll, I'll turn it right over to you, Dr. Berger. Dr. Alan Berger's with me. Uh, you brought a guest today. This is Bring Your Guest Sunday. <laughs> I didn't know. I it's didn't not, know. Yeah, no, we're going to start just what they do in kindergarten, right? You bring your stuffed animal. Well, Joe is not a stuffed animal, so he's going to speak for himself and, okay. and talk. But um, Joe, welcome to the show, by the way, Joe. And um, I'm so glad yes. you're here to join us today. Yeah. Long time listener, first time guest. That's what we like. And now hopefully you'll turn into a long-term guest as well as a long-term listener. Yeah. Um, Cause it's great to have you here, man. I've, I've respected your work since you and I started doing some of these workshops together on emotional sobriety through free thinkers and, and John R over in yeah. Arizona, our buddy. And with Maria, I mean, we've had some great, great workshops and we'll refer people to those so they can go listen to them later on. And, We'll get Patrick the information so we can put him in the notes. Okay, so but before we go any farther, I want you to say, if Alan, I want you to say free thinkers three times fast. Free thinkers, free thinkers, free thinkers. <laughs> Early Sunday morning, and I stayed up late watching this wonderful <laughs> heavyweight fight last night. Mm -hmm. Deontay Wilder and uh, Tyson Fury, man, the, the third in the trilogy. And it was almost as good as the Hobbits books and, and Foundation trilogy and the Doom trilogy. I mean, it was right. just... It was an amazing fight last night. So, but look, I want to focus on, on having you here, Joe, because you, you know, you've, you do so many wonderful things. I mean, tell everybody about your work and, and your, and your show, your podcast, and also your book. Okay. So I've got this uh, sort of uh, publishing arm called Rebellion Dogs Publishing. And you probably know where that line comes from, right? You know, rebellion dogs are every step at first. And, and I didn't, uh, steal at first. I was in a, a, a sober band in the 80s uh, with the mother of my son and some sponsees of mine and a sponsee of hers. <laughs> we had mm -hmm. this band. And uh, Kathy was the creative genius of the band, I, I call her. And she wrote a song called Rebellion Dogs about you know, uh, sort of waking up in the morning and the dogs are barking and looking outside the window and it looks safe. So she runs outside, but they're biting at her heels. It, it was just a wonderful song about turning the verb into a noun and the noun into a verb. And, you know, it just, you know, I, you know, we all love beautiful songwriting, right? You know, and, and, and playing with and playing with words is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah it sure, yes. it sure is. Yeah. 
So that was sort of with me for a long time. And uh, uh, I was talking about it last night. There was a certain zeitgeist. There's a, a podcast called Rebellion Dogs and some uh, 12-step groups are called Rebellion Dogs. And uh, so it's not, I didn't invent the idea, but I, I sure it resonates with me. It explains what I'm trying to do. You know, I want to, uh, I want to be critical uh, and loyal, right? Like being critical of uh, the sort of AA dogma uh, or the current way of doing things in treatment and addiction and mental health isn't like being um, a cynic. It, you know, it's just asking, you know, like a child would do, well, why? Well, why? Uh, and uh, uh, what, uh, and something uh, sort of mentor in recovery uh, would uh, say, and I borrowed this from him, was what else could this mean? When I've come to this conclusion that I'm so smart, I've got it all figured out now, mm -hmm. what else could this mean? And sometimes we can see it through another way by reading somebody else's book or listening to somebody else's podcast or hearing someone else's story. And uh, so Rebellion Dogs came from sort of the uh, ethos or zeitgeist of, you know, my life in recovery. And um, I uh, and I, I'm constantly changing. I'm evolving. Right. I I got sober in uh, Montreal, which is a very Euro kind of uh, city, uh, very um, uh, je ne sais quoi, joie de vivre kind of uh, spirit. And uh, so they sort of viewed anything American, not with anything that would even resemble contempt, but well, that's those Americans, right? So they didn't take the big book literally. They didn't take AA literally. They didn't take themselves too seriously. They, they uh, gleaned what they could and needed from it. But, uh, you know, just in their own sort of a unique way. And then uh, I moved to uh, Calgary, which was sort of a Midwest uh, city, you know, so that was a very more, a more conservative, different culture. The meetings were different and I had to learn to adjust to that. And then I moved to Toronto and you would think Toronto, a Northeast city is a very liberal city. It, it is. It's the most multicultural city in North America. Although Houston, I'm very impressed with. I, I spent some time there at a NADAC conference. <laughs> and, um, uh, but Toronto has kind of a Midwest 12-step recovery, kind of, uh, you know, like they sort of bought into some of the, uh, buy the book, let's make AA great again. Uh, fundamentalism is too strong and too poisoned a word to say, but that kind of literal interpretation and that kind of uh, tough love sort of thing. So uh, when I was exposed to that, I, I wasn't happy. I, I wasn't happy in AA uh, with people repeating cliches like, uh, you know, back then it was Star Trek Next Generation, the whole idea of the Borg, right, being assimilated. And, and it felt like that, right? And I, I wasn't having any part of it. So I had a band in AA, which was a, an outlet for uh, creativity. And um, eventually I, I went looking for a secular daily reflection book because I enjoyed all of the tools of early sobriety, you know, grapevine and uh, 
uh, NA had some good literature, AA had some good literature, but it was always with the, um, the primacy of a theistic worldview, the idea of uh, sobriety granting, um, prayer answering type of higher power, which I didn't believe in, which I accepted right. as, a, as a, uh, a belief structure that was helping people. And I didn't want to, uh, um, uh, you know, denounce it, but, but it, I couldn't speak that language and be authentic. So the, there was the great rub, right? Am I going to say the words that give me the approval that I crave, or am I going to be authentic and maintain the integrity that I need to survive in sobriety? What a balancing act. And so I went looking for a non-theistic secular daily reflection book, couldn't find it, um, uh, complained, you know, in this day and age, it's the 21st century for crying out loud. And people said, well, you know, eventually they listened, but they said, Joe, you've been sober long enough. You are a writer. If someone was to, if someone had written that, what would they look like? Why don't you do it? And I said, well, I can't because, and I thought I would have an end of the sentence when I got to the middle of the sentence. You didn't. And I, <laughs> I sort of walked it back, you know, and I said, okay, let me just see what I can do, right? And so I wrote a daily reflection book that was the first uh, secular daily reflection book called Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. And it seemed overwhelming, right? 365 ideas. Mm -hmm. No way. But I thought, okay, like back then I'd been sober 35 years. And I thought, well, I probably heard 10 good ideas every year. Ah, that's easy. 10 good ideas every year, right? Okay, what are they, right? And so, and, and things I've heard, and I started writing them down, and I started collecting sayings and quotes, and, uh, you know, looking back at the books that had been referred to me through my recovery career. And, uh, you know, and when I got to 200, I thought I'll never make it. And when I got to 300, I thought, why do I have to stop at 365? And right. <laughs> you end up with 500 and find the 365 that are most cohesive. It's like writing an album, right? You know, mm -hmm. you, you write 20 songs or 25 songs to put out eight songs, you know? And it just works that way. So that was, that, that was sort of what I did. And from that, you know, like it, it just, well, while I'm doing that, why don't I do a podcast? And while I'm doing that, uh, I got invited to write a, an article for The Fix. And I, so I, uh, I wrote under a pseudonym for them. Um, uh, and, um, you know, so, yeah, and I've done that. I joined NADAC and started uh, putting in everyday recovery people uh, terms, what's going on in the science and the administrative process of the whole uh, you know, treatment and recovery industry, just plain language. I just yeah, acting like a reporter, not an expert. And, and I liked that. And, and I did a music podcast over 650 episodes of, oh. you know, indie artists. And, uh, you know, sort of, I honed my skills there learning to, you know, talk to people and, uh, you know, draw them out and get interesting things out of them. And I just been applying that to people in the recovery community and, when you, the other thing I learned in music is if you are wanting to talk to the greatest managers and the greatest uh, 
uh, promoters uh, in the business and you have an indie band no one's ever heard of, they don't have time for you. But if you come with a microphone, say, I've got a radio show and I want your expertise. Oh, well, let my secretary uh, book you some time uh, at my place or yours, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they'll, you know, it's, it's a whole different thing. So uh, I found that was uh, a door opener having a, a vehicle to help promote other people's ideas. And, you know, so that's kind of what I do. That's kind of what my book was. That's kind of what my radio show is. That's kind of, I see my little role in, in uh, this whole community. It takes me all the way back. It's a random thought, but it takes me all the way back to Napoleon Hill uh, in his, his book, Think and Grow Rich. Back in the, the early part of the of the last century is, is you know, where it was where he I, one of the things that was always a takeaway from from things that he wrote was, was he always talked about helping other people. Yeah. You know, when in doubt, help somebody else. You know, yeah. when you're when you're stuck, when you when, when you when you're in that when you're in impasse of your own creativity, go help somebody else succeed. It's like, yeah, I just, I've loved, I always loved that. And I'm always, and I'm, he's, and he's not the only one who's ever said anything like that, but I, but I have attributed that to him because that's when I first place I ever heard it. So that's, that was like a lot of what you've been doing. Yeah. And, and you can walk in any direction to find someone who needs help. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another random question. Um, was uh, your love of music something you discovered in sobriety or was that uh, something that preceded your sobriety date? That it, you it, then had to... it absolutely preceded sobriety date. Uh, my uh, when my son was a teenager, uh, his friends thought I was uh, uh, deity like because I saw Led Zeppelin. The truth of the matter was I was at Led Zeppelin, but I was on windowpane acid and don't remember a, a single <laughs> uh, coherent moment. You, you of didn't it. you didn't see a thing. <laughs> Uh, no, but, he, yeah, he I, saw a lot, but it wasn't Led Zeppelin. Right, right. That's, nothing. <laughs> he saw a ton, but it wasn't Led Zeppelin. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I, yeah. I, I, I had a great show, and uh, mm. you know, but the, there's no bootlegs of what I saw, and uh, so I always loved music, and uh, it, it was um, my solace when I felt so alone and so uh, um, hopeless. Um, uh, it, it as a, I affectionately call myself an emotional retard, uh, you know, I'm, you know, pretty good, uh, jousting intellectually, emotionally, uh, I struggle a little more. Give me that wheel again. What's that word? Oh yeah. Sad, glad, mad. Oh, I guess I am mad. <laughs> and, uh, so music really helped me sort of express that and feel it and sense it and identify it. And, um, uh, you know, in sobriety, I needed to, uh, something to do with all of that extra time. And I went back to sort of guitar and, you know, doodling a little bit and a little bit of songwriting and that kind of stuff. And it was part of community, right? You know, uh, uh, one of the books uh, I read uh, talks about a sort of social capital term called uh, chime. Uh, and it's where you see success. You find a connection, hope, identity, meaning, and empowerment. Those are the acronym CHIME, right? So community comes first, right? And uh, so I, I needed a community, but not just a bunch of people smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee because I was a young guy in sobriety. So I found people 
who also liked music and uh, sort of collaborated with them. And a lot of projects didn't go anywhere and uh, others, uh, others did for sure. Well, it's great having you here, Joe. Look, you know, one of the things we've been doing with our show recently is we've been kind of, you know, methodically going through my new book. And yeah. you know, one of the upcoming chapters is going to be on perfection. And, you know, when I thought of inviting you to join us, you know, it was about this concept that you've been bringing to the workshops that you and I have done with John and Maria on emotional sobriety and this sober enough idea and perfectionism and could you spend a few minutes sharing with our listeners your ideas about that? Sure. The, the first thing, again, something I learned and I can't even remember from who now is uh, instead of fighting the darkness, shine the light. And the whole idea of fighting perfection, the dragon of perfection, you know, the fight's never over. You can't get on to the next thing on your to-do list because I'll never be done fighting my perfection. So what is the version of shining the light? Well, some things don't require perfection. Like I can be sober enough and be a good member of my community, a good employee, a good father, a good AA member. And so, uh, you know, that became sort of a mantra for me. And I found it made me more productive because you know, at the root of this sort of perfection is this fear of failure that I have and this expectation I have of what I think other people require of me in order to have their approval. And none of those things are true, of course. They're all uh, illusionary, but they drive me. And, and, and there can be a trap in recovery of, you know, I didn't do a thorough enough uh, step four. Was it moral enough? Was it searching enough? We have some colorful adjectives in recovery, and I think we would be better off without them, like rigorous honesty. Outside of a recovery community, that's the only kind of honesty there is. <laughs> 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 that's hilarious hilarious right, Joe. Yeah, it's so good man that is so true yeah you you wouldn't put it together it's like what that is what honesty is right it's yeah. being radical with well it's, it's what it's what it's, you know you think about that and language is so, is so funny anyway because people will say like all right i'm gonna be completely honest with you and you go like okay what have you been so far you know what <laughs> You know, I've known this person four years. We've been doing therapy. Well, now you're going <laughs> to like what? Exactly. And so, you know, trying to get, you know, like the opposite of perfection. What's that? I, I'm still focused on this fighting the darkness approach and, um, you know, doing like the steps, for instance. Uh, why work the steps? Well, uh, only if. After you get sober, things get worse. And, and that was the case for me. Like uh, um, sobriety didn't uh, solve my problems. It exposed them. And, and I needed to do more. But I see good examples in AA of people who got sober and everything got better. Socioeconomic things got better. Their relationships just worked themselves out. They naturally found their equilibrium. And, um, you know, so they're not like 
12 step workers, although they're part of a 12 step program. So why should they, you know, do the steps again, let alone do them at all. But, but I needed something to just sort of explore what was really going on with me, but you can, you can do that forever and not get on with your life. And, uh, I still have examples of it, uh, in my life today, I, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, I thought about, uh, okay, I want to do an audiobook be, because someone asked me, hey, Joe, I love audiobooks. How come uh, you don't have an audiobook? And I thought, okay, well, I've got all of these people I quote. Wouldn't it be really cool if I got them to do the audio on whatever they're quoting? Well, that's a, that's a big job, right? So, okay. And, and what about if I had uh, sort of, uh, male British voice and a female American voice and my voice, if that's what they wanted. And, you know, like I just made it this, like this imagining of what the perfect audio book would be. And I haven't done it, right. <laughs> you know, because, you know, it's, it's, it becomes undoable, right? The, 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 the searching for perfection doesn't lead me to perfection. It leads me to stagnation. And paralysis so yeah, absolutely it just stop, stops you dead in your tracks yeah. absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah and i got plenty of examples like that right you know where just uh you know start where you're at you know is an expression we hear and that's a that's a better approach to sobriety uh do it and move on and uh it isn't a cop-out it, it's it's a it's a legitimate way of approaching life and recovery well, you know and, what? Well, let me just say one of the please. things that I've just, that I've been relearning. You know, you notice. I mean, I think all all of us here can identify with the fact that we're not we, we're not. When was the last time we learned anything new? It's like we just keep relearning the shit that we had and we forgot. And and it's like, but one of the things I've been getting, and I think it has something to do with age as well as in, as just paying attention and doing this work with with Alan and Patrick is that that um, the. I don't, I don't know if it's the opposite of, but I think it's the remedy for perfectionism is just practice. We work with so many metaphors and so many concepts, and we get so excited about the words we can put together. I do anyway, and do that. But the idea is being present in the moment, doing whatever is, do, is in front of me right now, and only doing that, being completely focused there. It's not, it's not a concept to be explored. It's not, it's not a metaphor. It's, it's, it's the fucking solution. It's like if I'm when you say, why well, do the steps to practice just, just to do the steps? Why, you know, why did I just feed the horses at the barn? It's just that's what I was going. That's what I'm doing. Why am I sitting here talking to you? And it's, and it's like it's, it's offensively simple. And I, and I think one of the things I've run into, run into is, is, is I think I get offended. My little brain gets offended at how simple this stuff is. But it really is that simple, isn't it? Exactly. And I tend to complicate things. So perfection, yeah, self-improvement uh, sort of opens the door to my perfectionism. And that's, yes. that's not, not a solution for my life. And yeah. Alan's so kind, really. I love the, what you said about, uh, uh, you know, uh, sober enough. Well, I, I like your chapter. What was it? Chapter nine or 10 or something like that on, uh, you know, dealing with uh, perfectionism. And I liked everything in there. It was, that was fighting perfection enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you, you know, it's so interesting because this, this term like sober enough reminded me of, 
there was this movement in the, I think it was probably the 60s, but I'm not exactly sure. So Bruno Bettelheim, who was a developmental child psychologist, right? And talked a lot about a lot of different things, just saw how many parents were suffering from this idea of having to be a perfect parent. Yeah. And he came out with mm-hmm. this term for them. The goal here is to be a good enough parent, not a perfect parent. And I'm telling you that liberated. I mean, it was like, it was like D-Day in France, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, which I, I, I love. War is over. I, I love. I, well, it just opened up. It opened up this whole part of the consciousness that said, wait a minute, let's just figure out if we're just doing being good enough, right? Let's just mm-hmm. see what that means to do and let go of this burden of doing it perfectly. Because like you said, as soon as I put this curse of perfection into my consciousness, yeah. it creates paralysis, stagnation, second guessing. I mean, yeah. oh my goodness gracious me, we can sit there and look at something from a thousand different things. And I'm sure you had experiences like I did. Mm-hmm. I'd write a sentence and then I'd look at it, and then I'd rewrite it again, and then I'd rewrite it. After about 50 iterations of that, I'd come back and write it the first, the same way I wrote it the first time. Right. <laughs> it was because like I didn't improve it. I just totally got caught in this thing that it's got to be perfect, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I've suffered that, and I suffered that, but this good enough idea was so liberating. And for me, when you brought it into that discussion, when we did that emotional sobriety workshop with John, through free thinkers uh, in AA, I just that that I felt that liberation in my in my own personal recovery. I'm saying, you know, that's the goal here, man. Is just let's make it good enough. And what is and what does good enough mean? So I'd like to have that discussion a little bit with you guys, right? So when Great. we say good enough, what are we talking about? And each of us, there's four of us here. Right. Let's all chime in on that. What does good enough mean to you guys? Well, let, let me say, first of all, the idea, I love the fact that you describe what, what uh, your the response, the, the, you know, that big shock response you get when somebody says that. It's, yeah. it's unfortunate that, that we are such a perfectionistic culture that, that that's shocking. You know, yeah. it's, it really is. It's, it's, it's really well, it's so right. telling. Right. Isn't but, it? But is it, it's almost like it's settling. See, I think that was one of the things that it meant. No, but that, no, that's the it thing. Is not, that, you know, it's like. This is where. The, Right. Where the words this is where I I love the play with words, because the words in that the words in that case, you know, are really attention getters. You know, uh, one one I've used with clients a lot that always kind of gets them to do a double take. And you and I have talked about it quite a bit. Alan is is what I call the power of lowered expectations. Yeah. You know, and, and then they think I'm, I'm, I'm joking at first because it's a good guess with me. But it's but but I say, no, I'm serious. Let me let's talk about the power of lowered expectations, you know, and, you you know, and once people can get that and, and it's exactly what you're talking about, Joe, is like the idea is, is, you know, if there's a if there's a if there's 15 steps to the first landing of the staircase, <laughs> you don't hit the, the, the landing in the first step. It's like, you know, we don't even consider it. We walk up the damn steps. But when we come to having a, a creative idea or something we're supposed to do, or we have some message about that, it's like, no, we're supposed to hit that landing. Or if not, we're supposed to come back down and start all over again. And we wear ourselves out. So, I mean, that's, I guess that's my take on that is the idea is I think anything we do to help people understand that that 
true recovery from in, in my word, my use of the word recovery is not just about addiction. It's about recovering from what's toxic and recovering who we are. It's true. Recovery is about being realistic. Yeah. And, ex- yeah, you know, that's you, emotional sobriety, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Going from that's, being perfectionistic to realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the way I've said it at times is, is thinking about being a, aligned to reality, because that's what being realistic yep. means is a certain alignment to the experience we're having instead of being at odds with it. But yet for me, though, that that interest in that concept of good enough before, you know, I had this other part of me that developed that saw it yeah. another way. It seemed like it was settling for second best. Yes. Oh, I see what you're saying. You yes. See, that's what I was saying. Yeah. See, good yeah, enough. I see. Thing. I see. All right, it's a cop out. You can't be perfect, so you might as well just go ahead and settle for being second best. You're still a loser, you know. <laughs> Ladies which and gentlemen, every, which, silver which, medalist Allen Berger. Right. That's and, right. And, 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 yeah. Like and, the civil silver yeah, medalist. Right. Like like, <laughs> like the, silver, the silver medal is a bad thing. It's like that I know. So it's bad. like I, it's, it's, it's so I, crazy. Uh, but that, but but the idea. <laughs> But but it also tells us again. So telling about our culture is everything's a fucking competition. It is. It's like it's, it's like it's like we're not. This isn't a contest, you remember the civil medalist is a gold medalist that counts. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good, Joe. I'm a silver medalist and I'm, I'm trying to be proud of it. You're so ashamed. You're so ashamed. <laughs> I know. And I would be. See, it's it's that kind of stuff. It's like I had so much this part of me that developed that was obsessed with this idea and even like the thought of being a silver medalist like what who wants to do that i mean see it's that crazy thing what was it they they quote they they attributed this quote to vince lombardi but i i think it wasn't him it was george alice that winning isn't everything it's the only thing yeah that's right <laughs> you know it's that mentality and that's toxic thinking isn't it oh god like so you'll your ethics can go because winning is everything you know, your health can go because winning is everything. Your romantic life can go because winning is everything. Like it, it's a, it's just a horrible idea, but it's well, a great it, bumper it, sticker. Well, it is, but, but, it, and what it does too is talk, talk about the emotional sobriety part. It's like the, it's, it, it, Totally. That's totally focused in the interpersonal world, not the intrapersonal. And what we're doing, everything about what we're talking about is is is, is self-esteem and self-identity, self-validation, self-support from the intrapersonal. It's like, you know, I'm not competing with you from in here. You know, when I get out there and start competing with you guys, then, you know, you're, you're all, you know, like I could do a number. Patrick, you and I've had conversations about our inner inner critics and stuff like that. I mean, if I if I wanted to get into a thing where I'm going to compare my intellect and my abilities and my ability to express myself with with the with with among these the us four. You know, I could do a, a horrible number on myself. You know, mm-hmm. I'm choosing not to do that. I'm choosing. I want to be a participant. I want to be a part of, you know, it's like right. no medal. Exactly. Not the leader, uh, not yeah. the winner, the participant. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel I feel proud of that. Yeah. yeah. And because nobody gets out alive. Right? That's right. There's no way to win the game of life. Right. <laughs> I, uh, my mentor, Dr. Kempler, used to uh, travel around the world. But specifically, the story I'm going to tell is he came to Pennsylvania once and he's, he's a family therapist, right? A, one of the pioneers in family therapy. And he'd do all these workshops where they bring families in for him to interview in front of a bunch of uh, social workers and psychologists. And, uh, and 
he was out here in Pennsylvania, actually, interviewing some of the families that, of the workers that were in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this, this one family that he interviewed. He sat there and he said, he said to the father, he says, you don't realize what a hero you are every day. And the guy looks and said, what are you talking about? I just go in the coal mine and I come out and I do my day's work. He mm-hmm. said, you're a hero. Is you, you go ahead and put your life on the line for your family on a daily basis with no thought for yourself because you need to do it to support your family. You come home, you still try to be the best dad you can be. And you guys are all trying to struggle and make it. I mean, by the time he was talking, the whole audience was in tears and crying because he recognized the heroism of everyday life that every one of us have when we show up and go out and do a good enough job. Yeah, a Bri- good enough brilliant job. reframe for everybody. Oh my Absolutely. God. It was, I got goosebumps as I'm sharing this story with you guys in this father who felt so bad about himself that he didn't make more of his life. Cause here's that idea, right? I should yeah. be something yeah. more than just a coal miner. Mm-hmm. Right. I should have done even more for my family. You know, we mm-hmm. still struggle at times. By time that by time that interview was over, you saw this man come into his own experience with himself, mm-hmm. as well as his wife and children. I mean, it was earth shattering. And I'm telling you, it's I, I've seen this in a program. I was out here at a meeting once and somebody was celebrating their 20th birthday and the guy was sharing about how great his life is. He got his job back and he's driving this Audi now. And, you know, and he's making all this money and stuff like that. Now my sponsor, Tom, um, who was out here (laughs) and, you know, he raises his hand to share. He says, you know, I'm really concerned because we're setting up this program as though it means you're going to be successful and that you have to be successful to be in recovery. He says, for me, Mm -hmm. being in recovery is freedom. It's freedom from whether you're successful or not, because there's many people sitting in this meeting right now that are never going to have that experience. They're not mm-hmm. going to be driving an Audi. They're not going to be doing this. And if they measure their recovery on these kinds of ideas, they're going to always feel less than. He says recovery is about being free from our desire to drink and use today. Mm-hmm. He says it's free from some of this emotional garbage that goes on in our head, the toxicity and stuff like that. He says that's what we need to be measuring our recovery on is our freedom, not how much money is in our bank account. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, wow, man, you can hear a pin drop in the meeting. Yep. Yeah. It's, just, it, 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 it's one of those things where you look at it from this angle and everything's different. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The only person I should be in competition with is the person I was yesterday, which I think. Love it. Love that. Tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find uh, words and sort of symbols that help free me from this. Like, for instance, I don't want to be an example of recovery. I want to be a sample of recovery. Ah, Here's one way to do it. (laughs) There you go. Here's what could turn out, right? I love it, Joe. Where, 
you know, like I, I don't want to be, you know, any above or below anybody. Right. I just want you're right. Be- Cause it, it's funny. Cause you think about the connotations when you say example, watching your hand move, when you say example, we elevate ourselves Yeah, or whoever we're talking about. We don't, yeah, we don't, it's like, no, it's like, that's what's the best compliment, you know, any of us ever get in when we're, when we're in our working environment, working with other people is that is when you realize whatever they're saying, they understand that, that, that not only they get it, that we're not distinguishing ourselves from them, but 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 that but that they don't distinguish themselves from us. Right. See, because because I'm uncomfortable with with the one when people are are saying, oh, you're so it feels like they're elevating me as that example of saying, oh, you you know, you you see yourself as, among, you know, like, like, you know, no, I'm not among the, you know, the other people. It's like I am. We just are all here. You know, it's not we are the same. It's like that's the th- that's the you know, to humility. I always say humility is, you know, I talk about negative arrogance as well as arrogance and humility. You know, humility is that common meeting ground where I am neither better nor worse than anybody. Yeah. You know, it's that's that's home base. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and some of these things are baked in. We talked earlier about like the four absolutes of the Oxford group where, you know, striving for these impossible to reach I- ideals is baked mm-hmm. into our society, you know, in yeah. terms of you can never be thin enough or rich enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I try to treat everything as a, a range instead of a binary success or failure. Uh, when I think about my day's efforts and um, it makes it a lot easier than this do or die James Bond moment where uh, mm-hmm. I've got to talk to this person. And if I don't say the right words, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man, right? No, you know, mm-hmm. uh, stumble through it, do it good enough. And, you know, and you can come back and change, right? Life isn't uh um, about getting it perfect. It's about a, a trial and correction, right? right? Forget the errors and the wins, right? It's just, I'm always self-correcting. Yes. Absolutely. I was working with a client this last week and I, and she's, she has a real hard time just, just landing and staying in any one place, both physically and mentally for any length of time. And I handed her a, I have a stack of notebooks that a friend of mine who, who used to write incessantly uh, left to me when he died, he, he died suddenly, but he had a whole stack of these empty composition notebooks. So I have them in my yeah. office and we'll give them to clients at certain times. And I just, and I'll, and I'll be, I'll be, um, uh, 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 um, arrogant enough to title them for him. So what I wrote, wrote on her, her, her notebook was on the cover was problems and solutions. And I said, what you write in here is just, you, you know, because she talks problems all the time, but she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't write, she doesn't think or write problems in, in a way that, that create, that create the opportunity for solutions. You got to learn how to divide, you know, because what you're talking about is problem definition. This is how we move through life. You know, it's, it's like at, at the end of this talk, I've got a problem. I'm upstairs in my house and I need to go downstairs. Okay. I need to solve that problem. You know, it's like, I won't think of it that way, but I, but we're, we're just problem solving all day long. And it's because we we're getting from the, where we are. And if we can think that way, so that some, a problem is not something again, 
to, to you know, or, or that we even get to judge it earlier when you said you were talking about your music projects and you, I, and I'm real, I had a little moment of, of, of gratitude for myself because I realized I, my brain really has been retrained to think about things so differently in some ways. And it's like when you said that there were several of these, these music projects didn't go anywhere. I had my, the guy on my, my committee, the first one that spoke says he doesn't know that, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not talking about the projects. I'm going, like, we don't know what, how those took you to the next thing and to the next thing and the next thing. We don't have any information exactly. about whether, what those projects yeah. did or didn't do. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I was so happy that that just spontaneous, you know, spontaneously shows up as, as opposed to the, you know, the ones that used to spontaneously show up, yeah. you know, which usually just, just said, Hey Tom, you're a, you're a fuckhead. Okay. Thanks for reminding me. You're a musician. Um, I uh, write, films and I make films and um, my perfectionism comes in. I've noticed when I watch a really good film or I read a very good screenplay and I recognize the enormous gulf between this thing I've just experienced and loved and what I just created. And uh, I just feel like pulling my hair out and, you know, and, and, I, and I feel like that is another vector of, of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And uh, how does uh, how do you uh, grapple with that uh, in the music world? Uh, well, I, I, I see a lot of these successes that I admire as uh, being uh, uh, components of many things, talent, hard work and uh, dumb luck. Right. You know, like the fickle finger of fate, right, uh, sometimes has an effect on sweeping one band into notoriety and another band remaining in obscurity. And uh, so you got to love the effort because the results aren't guaranteed. Right. Just I, I can eat a plant based whole food diet and still get cancer. Right. It improves my chances. It's a good way to live now, uh, but uh, it, it's not. It's not a, a guarantee. And, and, and I do that. I go, well, I can't rip off uh, uh, leads like Jimmy Page does. So why bother, right? Again, perfectionism doesn't drive me to self-improvement. It stagnates me into numbness, right? It's, uh, it's very defeating this uh, perfectionism and uh i and and that you also have to look at compare yourself to their journey uh dolly mm -hmm. parton's written over 400 songs right probably 4000 songs right you know so she has a hit song but what what i, I had a chance to listen to the beatles early recording of um my bonnie lies over the ocean mhm mm it was awful in terms of it was no better than any other garage band. Right. Right. Like it was humble beginnings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's how they started. But, you know, like I, I just look at, wow, I, how could I write a song uh, like uh, uh, maybe I'm amazed or how could I write a mm -hmm. song like uh, Hey Jude, right. Or uh a cold turkey like what a perfect song about you know like, mm -hmm. and then you know now we get to listen to some of those recordings where they're in the studio yeah. trying these songs on first and doing a run and before they they really polish it right which is yeah. amazing i love it because it just shows you the that evolution mm -hmm. in terms of even what happens with a song yeah. i mean it, it it was incredible the other day i forgot what tune i was listening to but they were practicing it, you know, and, and trying to get a sense of what it is. 
And through the experience, like you said, it's trial and improvement, right? Yeah. Trial and correction, yeah. trial and, yeah. and having it become what it can mm-hmm. be. And there's no way of starting with, there's no other way than starting with where it is for you right now. Yeah. Right. The thing, the, the thing we're getting that uh, that Roger on, on Thursday night keeps bringing up too is acceptance is the first step of of, of change. It's uh, and, and Patrick, I just want to jump in here real quick because there's two things I'm thinking about when when you say that because I identify with that so much in terms of the mm-hmm. comparison. I remember before before I published my first book, I, I came to a friend of mine and and I'd just been in a bookstore. Remember those bookstores? And I and I'd been in the big bookstore in Nashville and we we had. Uh, you know, I, I went to the self-help group section and just looked at this and was just feeling overwhelmed. And, and I said, and I, and, and I, and I said, I said to her, I said, I, there's, I have nothing new to say. I have nothing to, to say that, that anybody has not already said. And, and she, she, this is a good example, Alan, of where words, she was clever and words got my attention. She said, well, of course you don't, you know? And I was like, what I thought, you know, and she she but she said this, and I always hung on to it. She said, "But there are people out there waiting to hear it, just the way you're going to say it." Yeah, and I think that's true for your your craft, any of our craft. I think it is. And and the other thing I'm remembering is is the there was a novelist. He wasn't hugely successful. His his son is actually a little bit more successful, maybe than him. He, he is Richard Spate Senior. Richard Spate Junior is an actor that many people know. But Richard Spate uh, Junior uh, Senior was a was a novelist here in town. Was very kind to me when I was first starting out, and um and he and he wrote me a little poem. It's on my wall in my office, and it just says, "Talent is nice, skill is okay." but in the end persistence pays and that's and i and i i just love that that was his, such a gift for me and i remember it with everything i do it's you know because i and i look at the successful people because i live in nashville i live in a town where i promise you the most talented people are not the most successful people <laughs> they're just yeah. not it's like sometimes sometimes they sometimes those kinds of things coexist but they're not it's it's, it's a combination of that stuff and i you know i uh and in the truth the truth is it is it is those people who do not, how do you do how do you succeed well just don't you don't Quit. And the way I say it is I'm going to achieve my my bestseller dreams. Uh, I'll either achieve them or I will die trying. And either one of those will leave my integrity intact at my funeral. You know, so you can come you can come and say, boy, that guy was wildly successful with his book sales. Or you can come and say that motherfucker never stopped trying, you know, and either one's either one's OK with me. I would prefer the first one. And, and if it's for a feeling of of worth am i worthy right yes do i yes. have a world record even if i get a world record it'll be broken mm-hmm. it, it isn't sustainable right mm-hmm. you know right. i try to measure my efforts because one of the things i am is notoriously poor at judging time oh i'll just write this blog it'll take a couple hours and i'll get on with the rest of my things <laughs> And it's oh, a two God, and a half yeah. week project, right? <laughs> you, you know, so I just, I slot time for mm-hmm. like, I will put effort into this during these hours. Because like what happens is I planned on doing X at one o'clock, but I'm still in the middle of doing Y. So mm-hmm. I can't do X. Now I'm stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. So I slotted time for X. And then I'll do why. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I, I can, I can do that, but I, I can't, you know, I, I'm no good at being realistic about how long things will take. 
Me neither. You know, two and a half was something, I guess. You weren't that far off. <laughs> and Patrick, be sure people are reading what you, you have some readers and everybody, you don't need everybody's damn opinion, but you need somebody to give you some feedback because what, what Alan was talking about, about writing the sentence, one of the things that I learned a long time ago, better at it now, but that should monster in my head was, was going to re was going to edit and rewrite every sentence I was writing and it breathed down my neck. And I had, I had to basically get to a place where I disqualified my own opinion about what I was working on at the time and trust it to somebody that I knew would tell me the truth. Well, we did, we need to muse. I told you the value that Vince, you know, Hyman has mm -hmm. brought to my mm -hmm. writing and yeah. my work. He's just, mm -hmm. the guy's phenomenal. But, you know, Joe, it's I'm just sitting here appreciating you so much. It's so nice to have you with us. And I love the conversation with you, man. You're very, you're very, very thoughtful about life. And and I love how you challenge. That's the rebellion dog in you, man. I love your rebellion <laughs> dog. You have a great rebellion dog. I sure. mean, it really, it challenge some of the things that we just accept is the reality. And they aren't the reality, right? It's. There's such a social construction of reality and personal construction of reality. And, and like you said earlier, man, I mean, my ability to create illusions is phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it really goes, you know, I'm, I'm like right up there with the best science fiction writers of all times in my personal life. Lots of practice. Yeah. <laughs> and if only we were programmed to see these things positively. Like, let's say someone walked into their first recovery meeting and said, where do I start? Well, what are your skills? You seem to be able to get drugs no matter what, even if you have no money or no connections, you know, let's, let's use that skill. What are your other skills? Right. And, and, and just sort of, we meet ourselves where we're at and we just, you know, utilize what, what we're good at as opposed to what are the barriers? What, what am oh, I failing at? That's right. And that's that persistence thing that Tom talked about, man. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, man, just yeah. that stick to itiveness, man. If yeah. there's one thing like you've done, I've done in my program that no matter what we keep showing up. And even when we're, you know, for me, it's been when I've had the darkest of nights, you know, I haven't thrown in the towel on those times that right, I just right. somehow found a way to endure them and with some sense of that there will be some meaning at some time to this i can't find it right now but that doesn't mean i'm not going to discover it yeah let, think, letting go letting go that insight is is a present tense i mean hindsight is where the best insights are i mean it's almost like insight in the present tense is just is just recreational at, at best and really gets in the way at worst thinking that i'm going to have i'm going to figure all this out while it's happening you know it's you're not it's like you know we could we could all tell a story about ourselves today right now and it, it'd be okay we figure some stuff out but if we came together and made a deal and we did a, a study where we did this over a period of time where we said now let's meet six months from now and tell a story about this this time of our life it's a different story yeah. because we don't have the perspective we're the we're the you know the the left tackle you know on the football field rather than watching the films i mean it's, it's like all i need to all i know is i, I gotta either knock that guy down or he's gonna hurt me right you on. know and and it's like so but i, I want to go back before we I, I, we're, I don't know where we are exactly but before we go i want to I, I need to say i have a favorite part of this uh conver this conversation and for some reason it's this joe it's 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 the 
how you came to write your, the the uh, the daily reflection book, and I and I and I just love. I've always I'm a fan of the idea of being somebody who is spontaneous uh, enough to start sentences that I have no idea how they're going to end, whether I'm <laughs> writing writing them or speaking them. And it's it's and I do that. It's like I do not know often how they're going to end. And it's like and I realize you t- what you said earlier was that you wrote that book because somebody asked you about that. And you were you were confidently getting ready to explain to them why you could were not the one to write the book, but you didn't have an ending to the sentence. So so you wrote the book. It's, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Integrity, right? You know? <laughs> so, Joe, listen, tell tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and where they can get your book and all those other goodies. Oh, there's lots of stuff you can get for free, too. Like, I, I happily give it away, right? At rebelliondogspublishing.com. Uh, there's uh, links to uh, blogs and podcasts and and other people's, my book and other people's books. Anything I find I want to share with people. And um, it's isn't it easier to promote somebody else's Mm-hmm. achievements mm-hmm. than your own right yep. like I, yep. I i just find more joy in doing that mm-hmm. and um uh yeah and uh, and i'm accessible people are stunned my phone number is in the book and they call and i answer and i talk to them and they're uh taken aback by that but uh i'm not always available to answer the phone mm-hmm. but you know let's talk and when does the north american tour start for the band <laughs> well i have to plan every stop and i have to get the right <laughs> last thing before the sign off uh, we have a question from social media how may emotional sobriety affect those who are affiliated with cults well just speaking of what i spoke to the whole idea of cultism is fundamentalism is perfectionism is uh like an ultimate carrot that can't be reached and you f- sort of fall into that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh you know you're never going to be satisfied and you're going to be desperate and susceptible to compromising your values and uh so a little bit of what we're talking about here um i don't know who wrote it and what their circumstances are right and uh you know, uh, deprogramming takes a certain amount of therapy, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the small C cult, like, uh, you know, some groups are culty and, you know, uh, some approaches are culty. Uh, you can assuage that with just that sort of good enough thinking, right? Well, and, and look, what, what you're also talking about, look, how many times have you heard AA being, you know, accused of being a cult? I mean, it's the same thing. It's that there's these ideas that people and accept uncritically as an answer. And, you know, if you want to define cultism, that's what it's about. You know, I'm going to suspend any of my personal reaction and judgment to this. And I'll let somebody else tell me the way things are, the way things should be. And then I'm going to try to adopt that as part of my life because that will be the solution. Cause obviously I'm not able to discover it and see it's, it's to me that's at the heart of emotional sobriety, Patrick, is this idea that I need to include myself right into this process. Nobody's coming. I'm not going to find the solution mm-hmm. out there. The solution's going to be coming from my, you know, as we've talked about in this, 
taking a bite of that, chewing it up and saying, is this, how does this work for me? Is this being nourishing? Do I see my, myself mm-hmm. thriving with this or is this, you know, I don't like it. It's, it's not nourishing me. It's not nurturing mm-hmm. me and becoming who I want to be. See, those are the kinds of things, but it's, it's including yourself. You know, it's interesting the way I started to talk about this, this last week, I was inspired by something Dr. Bowen said, Tom, you weren't there Thursday night. And I threw this mm-hmm. idea out mm-hmm. that, and I'm, I'm, I'm modifying it a little bit from what Dr. Murray Bowen said, but he said he was talking about differentiation and I just applied it to, to emotional sobriety. Emotional sobriety is being able to stand for yourself without being selfish mm-hmm. and be able to act for others without being selfless. Love mm-hmm. that. Mm. love that stand for yourself without being selfish and act for others without being selfless Mm -hmm. so you know we talk about balance all the time in terms of this thing and i hope people can hear the balance that that i hear it in that statement right is we're trying to balance those two things all the time in our life and and i think that's what emotional sobriety is 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 me being involved in in with that foundation of humility that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. yeah. i would guess that anyone you know uh deeply involved in a cult has lost that sense of self totally totally well that's the cost that's what that's what they're that's what they collect on the front end but you know patrick for, for future reference and i love i love what uh, what joe's saying about the big c's and the little c's with the cult it's like like I, I think I think it'd be be really good to and fun to go back and and uh, uh, look at this question some more sometime as we, as we mm-hmm. go along because because you know it's really it's really a challenging question when because in a way you're saying okay we have we have some things here that we think are very that can be very effective but so but that when you talk about something that is cultish like that they go that's the that's a big challenge i don't know if it's the ultimate i started to say that but maybe it's a big it's a big challenge it's like it really does challenge us to say okay how might we apply that i think we i think there's things to learn that's from right. kind of putting something to the test even just in our discussion about about that Maybe maybe we can talk Joe into coming back and talking with us. Uh, no, as a final word, I'd say we've podcasted enough. We have to respect uh, Alan's time. I got, I've got to go. on you guys. But Joe, look, I please <laughs> can we invite you back. Can we invite you back? Yeah. And and mm-hmm. and continue some of these discussions with you. And please, everyone, pick up Joe's. You know, connect with Joe and his work and stuff. It, you know, it, I'm I'm certain it's going to add to your life. Sure. If you don't like my book, I'll find you one you do like. <laughs> Where else can you get that, right? Where else can you get that? All right, you guys. Wonderful show today. Thanks, Bye. Patrick. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for being here. See you guys later. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Till it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again 
With glass in hand and children on me Bring some stories Bring your stories Back to me Back to me